We're going to go to Luke. If you have your Bible today, go to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Today is Palm Sunday. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And uh, my title today is this. I think you'll... I think you'll like this. Can you praise even before you see the victory? That's my title. Can you praise before you even see the victory? And we're going to kind of pull that out and look at that today here in Luke 19. But got to thinking about this season that we're in and, and the Easter season. Today kicks off Palm Sunday, of course, as we're going to talk about. But this whole week is very detailed in the Gospels of everything Jesus did of course, leading up to Friday, we're going to have a good Friday service. We want to invite you back to that. It's going to be about an hour long. It's not going to be anything super lengthy, but we're going to just come together and we're going to worship Jesus on Good Friday that evening. Leah, is it 6.30 or 6? 6 o'clock. We just want to do a little earlier for a Friday night, 6 p.m. on Friday, and we're going to come to the table of the Lord and we're going to partake of communion together. And just, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to just have a time where we remember. They didn't call it Good Friday on that Good Friday, amen? They didn't, they didn't see anything as good. And that's really where I want to go today because during this week and during this season, I want to remind you that this season of Easter is not about Easter bunnies. It's not about eggs. It's not even about time spent with family. Even all those things are, are peripheral and they're good and they're fine. And uh, I used to love just watching my kids run around the yard and, and pick up Easter eggs. It was, it was just, it's fun, right? But if we don't teach our children and even remember that Jesus is the focus of this season, because how many have ever heard the term familiarity breeds contempt? <laughs> I think we've become so familiar with even the story that we're going to talk about today that what Jesus did on the cross becomes kind of a side note, and it should be something that's held up every single day of our lives. Can you say amen this morning? How many know when you get used to something, you tend to see it as special, right? When you get used to something, we, we tend to not see it as special as what God wants us to. And that may be uh, the case for many in here today. When we begin to neglect something as special and sacred and holy, then we tend to lose its effect and lose its power to change our hearts and our lives. And even for some of you here today, when we, we lose that special feeling, listen, it could even be, what if I told you today, your marriage is still special, you just quit seeing it that way. <laughs> what if I told you today that house that you prayed so long for that you're in is still special, you've just been living there so long that you forgot that it's a special place. Don't we have the tendency that when God provides something, we quit giving him the praise for it, but when we're on the side where we don't have what we think we need or what we want, then we sometimes forget to praise him. So as we delve into this scripture today, I just want to point out that the people who had gathered there on that Palm Sunday, and I, I, I want to point out something so important. This was a festival, a praise and worship session. This time of the Jewish calendar, Passover was coming up. So you had a city that was roughly about a half a million people had swollen to almost 2 million people at this time. So I want to begin to paint a picture in your head this morning of what was going on around this celebration that Jesus 
Jesus is going to ride on a colt and he's going to come into the city. Because again, I know many of you here have heard this over and over and over again through many Palm Sunday services, but sometimes we forget to see how special and how incredible this story is in relation to our relationship with God. Familiarity of something can keep you from activating your faith in certain areas. And so today I want to take a fresh look at an old story and and a wonderful story. And it almost seems like as we read this today, and this is the thought that I had, and this is where I want to go throughout this whole sermon, just kind of lay it out there for you. It almost seems like this celebration, and and again, I want to paint you a picture. This wasn't a quiet celebration. This wasn't, you know, putting your hands together and just slowly watching Jesus walk by on a donkey. This would have been a celebration. They would have been waving palm branches and laying their cloaks out on the road. And they would have been with a loud voice shouting, Hosanna, which means God save us. But you would think that this would have come after the resurrection. But what I want to paint for you today, church, is sometimes we have to praise God before he ever answers what it is he's going to do for you. Because he's getting ready to go to the cross and pay the the penalty of our sin and, and be raised again on the third day after Good Friday. But here we see the celebration before the fact. And what you have here is an intersection of the Passover celebration. So you had many people gathered around, many people crying with a loud voice, and they're celebrating a victory that they did not understand was getting ready to take place. Are you following me so far? They're celebrating a victory that's ahead that they, even John in his gospel says, we didn't understand these things, why we were watching them, but sure do understand them now. How many have been through some things in life that you didn't understand it as you're walking through it, but when we get to the other side of it, so these people did not have the the uh, element of seeing it from hindsight. They had the element of watching it on that day. And again, do not let the familiarity of the story decrease the power of the story. And all four Gospels give us the story of Jesus in, in different ways from different perspectives. But if it's in all four Gospels, I just want to remind you also that if it's in all four, it's a very important Story And they were shouting what? Everybody say Hosanna. Hosanna. Which directly means save us. How many know that's just a good prayer to shout sometimes? I mean, don't get in the middle of Walmart and start shouting Hosanna. You're going to scare everybody there in the meat aisle. But if you're in your car and you need God to, by faith, to intersect in that moment, some of one of the best prayers that I've ever prayed is just God save me. (laughs) God, help me in this moment. God, do what only you can do. So again, my title today is, Can You Praise Even Before You See the Victory? And I believe by the end of this, we're going to have a new understanding of what this story means. See, Palm Sunday is a celebration before Jesus ever won the victory upon the cross. There was cheering and praising And they have no idea as they're standing there watching this scene unfold that Jesus is getting ready to win the most important battle that any of us could face. And that's the battle against the enemy, death, hell, and the grave. And they're celebrating before it ever came to pass. And you see this journey that first Palm Sunday wasn't just about the immediate circumstances. This journey that we see Jesus take here in Luke 
is about eternal impact. It's about eternal souls. And I want to tell you something today. If you're here visiting and uh, you just came with a friend or whatever, I want to tell you, you have no greater need than that of a Savior. You have no greater need this morning than that of a Savior. So if you're in Luke, say amen. We're going to read our scripture today. I want to talk about three elements from this story. Of course, we have the donkey, we have the palm branch, and we have some rocks that Jesus said are going to cry out in praise if the people didn't cry out in praise. Look here in verse 37 of Luke 19. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, there's always a Pharisee, right? Said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I'm going to tell you this morning, there's no rock going to cry out in my place. I'm going to praise my God. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Father, this morning as I share your word, God, I always humbly ask that you present your anointing here in this place, that what I say is not of myself, but, Father, it is of the Holy Spirit that would go into the hearts of these people today and produce fruit, God, fruit of salvation, fruit of peace, fruit of of joy, unspeakable and full of glory, fruit, God, of the Holy Spirit. May it be evident in our lives through the, through the implanted word of God into the good soil of hearts and even minds that are present here today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you do what you can do in changing lives and bringing people to a place of surrender to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we're always careful to give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. As I mentioned, there's three elements that we see here that I want to just pull out. And again, they're familiar. Most everybody in here has heard in one of the Gospels or another because it's in all four. Everybody here has heard these different elements that I'm going to talk about. But I want to break them down in maybe a little bit unusual way than what you've ever heard before. First off, we see Jesus has a donkey that he is sitting on. They put their cloaks up over the donkey. He sent his, in another John's uh, rendition, John's writing of his story and his eyewitness account of everything that took place that day. We know and we understand that he sent his disciples ahead because God had already had a donkey prepared for him to ride in on. And what really I want to relate the donkey to is freedom. Everybody say freedom this morning. What I want to point out is the people that were present that day were expecting the king to come into Jerusalem on a war horse. I mean, if I'm going to ride in and have everybody shout, Hosanna, the king has come to save us, I'm telling you, I'm probably not going to choose a donkey, right? I'm probably not going to choose this little, I'm coming in on a white stallion, y'all. I mean, I want to come in with some flair and panache. I mean, it's a king coming in. It's a king being presented 
in Jerusalem. But church, I want to point out something. The reason I say freedom is because it points to the disposition of our God. Our God is not of the disposition where he comes in with with a, a war horse. He comes in lowly. It speaks to the, our, the disposition of our God, and it should speak to the disposition of God's people. Amen? Amen? We are to be meek. We are to be humble. We are to be those who are extended hands of Jesus into our community and into our families. We are to be those like Jesus we see as the example here, sitting on a lowly donkey, the Bible tells us. We are to be the examples of humility and humbling ourselves and denying ourselves. Church, I came to tell you something. He could have ridden in on a war horse, and nobody probably would have batted an eyelash, but he didn't. He was telling something to his people that would come after him from generation to generation, and now for 2,000 years, that we aren't those who come in to conquer. We are those who come in to serve and to love and to humbly submit ourselves under the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what you see here. Because the people, I'm sure, were even kind of shocked and saying, wow, this is kind of... In other words, when they were celebrating and when they were shouting Hosanna, this had to be somewhat of a confounding moment. Everybody say confounding. Confounding Confounding just means you're confused. It just means, wait a second, this, this doesn't seem like the way it should be. And what I want to paint you a picture of today is that there was a lot of confusion about what their God had come to do for them. And I'm going to get into this in my next point, but I want to say it many times. Sometimes we have an expectation of what God is and going to do. And I want to change your expectation from maybe what you think God is and who, what he's going to do to an expectancy of who God is and what he's going to do. There's a difference between expectation and expectancy. We didn't, they didn't understand it then, but church, can we all agree we sure do understand it now? We sure do understand being on this side of the cross, church, on this side, and being able to have hindsight again, being able to look back and understand that this is what God was trying to communicate to his people. The church is not always about God fixing everything directly right now in our lives. Sometimes he's got a much greater victory ahead Because if we can praise him before we ever see the victory, church, what's that called? That's called faith. And it's called freedom. They were there watching this play out, and they had in their minds, good, freedom is here. He's going to go into the city, and he's going to beat up all the Romans, and he's going to kick them out for good. And we are going to be able to sit in Jerusalem again free from all these outside influences. And we see in another gospel retelling of this same story, Jesus goes into the city, goes into the temple, looks around, and turns around and walks back out. How many have ever had a hard time figuring out what God was up to in the moment that he's working? Man, I've had so many of those moments. I've had so many of these exact same moments of all these. And listen, this was not a small gathering. This was not just a few hundred people alongside the road. And remember why they were there. They had seen the miracle of Lazarus being raised again from the dead. And they're all gathered together because they had seen the miracle, but yet still misunderstood what God was up to in the moment. So the donkey to me represents freedom. Amen. Everybody say freedom again. I want to also tell you this, and this is so important, that the donkey, the little colt that Jesus rode in on, he had already positioned it exactly where it needed to be 
when it needed to be there. And church, to finish out this point, I got good news for you today. God knows exactly where you are, and he knows exactly what you need. God has a plan for you and for I, and God's plan is good. Everybody say good. Because he said, go ahead of me, and you will find. How many understand when God says to go to a place at a time, and what you have need of is already going to be provided, it's going to be exactly like he provided. They didn't understand it. But it was there. God has a plan for you, and it was good. But notice this, and I've been talking about this for a few weeks in relation to the table, in relation to him raising Lazarus from, a, from the dead. Lazarus is raised from the dead, yet he still walked out with grave clothes on. We can be loosed, but sometimes we need to be led over to Jesus so that he can utilize us for his plan and for his purpose. The donkey was tied up. Can I give you good news this morning? If you're tied to something that God doesn't desire, he can loose you. He can give you freedom. He can give you salvation. You say, man, I'm just struggling in my marriage. All these things going on. I'm struggling in my family. There's all these attacks. There's all these things going on. Can I tell you that God is working on your behalf and what you have need of is going to be in the same, in the place that you need at the exact time. Number two today is a palm branch. Leah was supposed to cut me a couple palm branches, but she let us down this morning. No, I'm kidding. I told her I would do it, so she's been very busy this morning. And uh, everybody say ex- expectation. expectation. Everybody say expectancy. expectancy. That's what I see when I see the palm branch, and I'm going to explain that here right now. You know, if you told your kids, you load them in, loaded them in the car, and they're still young enough, and we used to surprise our kids occasionally with, telling them that we were going to take them somewhere and surprising them with another trip. How many have seen these stories of kids that think they're going to get ice cream and somebody takes them on a, on a vacation or a trip to Disney World? Have you seen these? They're so exciting because, again, their expectation was that they're going to go get ice cream and then the parents drive to the airport and say, we're going to Hawaii. Wouldn't that be an awesome blessing right there? Come on, somebody. Ooh, come on. And the kids look back and say, what about my ice cream? You're going to Hawaii. What do you mean ice cream? But, but church, here's what, the, here's what the palm branches meant, and here's what was going on in the context of this story. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us. God save us. And what they were saying in saying that and shouting that on that day was God Deal with these Roman occupiers that are right here in front of us. And, and listen, I don't want to demean or say that, that the, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were not uh, in a bad place. They had been occupied now for, for years and years and years, were under the thumb of the Romans. They couldn't do what they want, worship the way they want. But I want to point out how we sometimes have an expectation of what God should do in any given situation. And if I could get you to flip that around to go from expectation, because how many understand when we have our expectations of what's going to happen, sometimes we can be let down. But if I can teach you and, and make you understand on this day, everything that they, even his closest disciples 
did not understand the magnitude of what was going on in this moment. Because, church, we have a much bigger problem than just the Romans. They had a problem called sin down deep in their hearts that was going to eventually keep them separated from God. And he received the praise even to the point where he said something so incredible. Even these rocks are going to cry out if you don't lift up your voice in praise. And they're all waving the palm branches and they're shouting, save us, save us, with a loud voice. And that's why you see the emotion, I believe, in Jesus because he loves his people. He loves us so much, he's not going to give us what we want sometimes. He's going to love us enough to give us what we need. How many understand raising your kids, you don't always give them what they want. You're trying to raise them up and give them what they need at the given time in the given moment. And God is no different of a father. So we have our expectation and we have expectancy. Can I want to talk for just a minute about the difference between expectation and expectancy? If you're taking notes, listen to this. Expectations are premeditated. Expectancy is forward-looking. Everybody say forward-looking. Forward. Again, they're celebrating a victory that they didn't know they needed and they didn't even know was coming on Friday. Nobody knew and understood. And it says clear in the scripture, they were just blind to it. Even as close as disciples. How do we know this going all the way up to the Garden of Gethsemane? Peter pulls out a sword, right? And starts just slashing people. I mean, you have a, a wrong concept of what God came to do on Good Friday and, and to be raised again three days later. But expectations are premeditated. What does that simply mean? We have expectations for our life, for how things are going to go. I mean, when you're a young person, what did you expect? What's, what's life going to look like at 18? I'm going to be free. <laughs> Sorry to rain on any teenagers parade in here. <laughs> Real life starts. Can I get an amen? So even teenagers live with expectations. I can't wait till I just don't have to listen to my parents anymore. And then what I found by having family members and friends who have kids in their mid and late 20s, they need, they need us more then, it seems like, than what they do when they're teenagers. Can, can somebody witness to that? So there's an expectation versus expectancy. What, what else do we have expectations about? We have expectations about marriage, right? <laughs> Man, this is, marriage is going to fix all my flaws. Marriage is just, you know... Can I tell you what it does? It reveals your flaws. And it reveals your flaws so that God, by the Holy Spirit, can get in and fix you. I've told many people this over the years. And I don't mean this in a negative light. Please hear your pastor's heart. Marriage is like Holy Ghost sandpaper, y'all. It is. There are some rough edges that would never be worn off other than the sandpaper of your spouse. And Leah could testify, I am like the worst grit sandpaper that exists. I mean, it, it just helps her out. What, here's an expectation we have. What our kids are going to be like, right? How they will do in school, how they're going to mature in life. We, we're young parents, some of you in here, and you're looking forward to seeing our kids grow up. And, or maybe your career. Maybe you would have an expectation of how quickly you would climb the ladder and how quickly you would become somebody with a lot of money in the bank. So how often would somebody testify and say, my expectations crashed? Would you raise your hand and just be honest with me? How many times do we have unrealistic expectations 
And here's what it creates. When we have the wrong expectation, then we get depressed and we get despondent and we get in a dark place and we begin to look at that place and we begin to give up and quit. And I came to tell you, listen to me, I'm speaking now from the truth of God's word. There's people that walked in this room today and you had an expectation of how life was going to go and how your kids were going to go and how your marriage was going to go and how everything was going to go in your life. And just like the people standing along the side of the road that day that were shouting, Hosanna, save us, save us, save us. They had an expectation of what God would roll into Jerusalem and do. And when it wasn't met, a few days later, they were shouting, crucify him. Do you see how fickle we can be when we don't live with expectancy? Expectation is one thing. Expectancy dwells in the root of faith this morning. And when you have hope and faith in your future, I came to tell somebody this morning, you can shout Hosanna. You can shout God save us. You can shout God, I believe you're working even when I don't even completely understand what it is you're doing. You can fill in the blank with your expectation this morning. But I would say this. Most people are continually being robbed of life by what could have been, might have been, and should have been, but it never happened. That's what this story is about. There is a victory coming a few days later that was so so much of a greater... Listen, the reason that Jesus said even the rocks are going to cry out if you don't is because even creation knew what was going to happen on Friday wasn't just about humans. It was about a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth, and God putting everything right when he returns and set set up his kingdom. But he's... He may come this afternoon. I hope it's after jambalaya. I'll just be straight honest with you. Lord, you know my heart. I want a big plate of jambalaya before you come back. But if he came back this afternoon, listen to me. That's what he's coming to do. I got good news for you this morning. When he won that victory on Friday, that victory reverberates and echoes all down through the ages. And he was, he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And the, and, and the reality of that victory can be, see, we don't have to have an expectation of things turning out like we want. We have an expectation that God's going to set everything right one day. He's going to come back and he's going to divide, right? He's going to root out all the evil and all the... How many are just look around at our world and say, Jesus, come on. It, it's soon. Wars and the things we see on a weekly basis, pandemics, every, all, these, all these things going on before us. And, and listen, some of you may have walked in here and looked around at our world and you're so despondent because you could simply say, I don't understand how the God that you've been talking about, Pastor, over these last few weeks that wants to share a meal with me, that wants to, wants to bring me to a table and just talk about my life and, and wants to loose me from the bonds that I have and wants to save me and wants to bless me and wants to, wants to, to be that person in my life who's a heavenly father. I don't see how that lines up with the world that I see around us. Can I tell you, it is not God's fault. The world is in the condition it's in. It's the church of Jesus Christ's fault because we haven't been preaching. We've been preaching expectation and not expectancy of the move of God that he promised would come before he comes back. Amen? I'm getting off track. Listen, expectations are about us setting our faith on a predetermined desire, direction, or destination. Expectations about us setting ourselves on a predetermined. In other words, you've explained to God exactly how this should go and what should happen. And you get on the other side of something and we misunderstand what God is doing. Here's what we say. 
you know, Lord, I won't be content unless. Don't we do that? God, I'm not going to be really be happy unless this works out to my own predetermined plan, desire, and what I want. Do you know where that's going to get you? Disappointed, discouraged, and in a dark place. Expectancy is about us setting our faith on a divine director and his destiny in our lives. Can I get an amen? So that's the difference between expectation that we carry of how something's going to be. That's what's happening in the story. All those people gathered around are shouting and praising and glorifying. And I expect you, and even the people who knew the scriptures the, the best, the Pharisees, they memorized all these scriptures. They knew. They should have been the first to recognize what God was doing in their midst, but they only didn't they only not didn't they didn't recognize it. They were actually standing around criticizing it. Can I tell you the danger of being so deep into the word of God that you forget who God is and what he's really up to is a real danger. The the expect, expectancy is simply this. God wherever you lead me, God, wherever you're taking me, God, wherever you want to go, he's riding on a colt, he's riding into Jerusalem, save us and kick out the Romans, God, save us and do away with these evil people, save us and put our person up on the throne, are you following me? And and when we get rid of our expectations and you can humbly follow the humble man, Jesus, God, man on on the colt and you can follow him with what? Expectancy, because at that point you've surrendered every expectation that you have and can I tell you what a beautiful place surrender is man surrender does away with our expectation of how something's going to play out and happen in our lives and expectancy is understanding that i may not have seen the victory yet but i trust that one on the colt enough that i'm going to follow him if he goes into the city i'll follow him there if he walks out of the temple and over into the garden of gethsemane i'm going to follow him there if he leads me to another country i'm going to follow him there expectancy just stays behind him instead of out in front of him telling him how everything's going to work out that's good And listen, it's not wrong to desire and to plan and to have a certain expectation that, God, this is how. But how many of us have gotten so disappointed because it didn't turn out the way we wanted? Can I tell you what binds us up and and sometimes traps us in our own disappointment? Is when we have more confidence in our plan than in the God who designed us. When we have more confidence in our plan than the God who you have surrendered your life to, that's what salvation is. It's not shaking the pastor's hand at the back door and saying, I came to church one Sunday a year. I'm telling you the truth. Salvation is surrendering your life over to the one on the donkey and laying aside every preconceived notion of how things would necessarily work out. Everybody say hope. I'm not talking about crossing my fingers, Hope. I'm talking about heartfelt expectancy of something good from the hand of God. That's what hope is. And here they were waving the palm branches, and most were happy. Some in the crowd weren't happy. Some of them, it says, directly wanted to take him out because of Lazarus, and they were afraid that more people were going to follow Jesus than were going to follow their power structure. And they could almost taste They could almost taste that sweet victory over these wretched Romans. They could almost taste the sweet victory 
over the ones that they despise so much. And soon the crowd is what? They're going to find out that he didn't do what they expected. He wasn't there to set up a political kingdom. When the scripture tells us that God will do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think, we start to get new houses and a better car and a new white picket fence in our mind. Can I tell you, standing there that day, their problem wasn't just with the Romans. Their problem was sin within their hearts. And it was separation from God. He wasn't there to set up a a political kingdom. Jesus came to fix a much bigger problem than what any of them standing there that day realized. And that was their hearts were separated from God. John 12, 16, it says, At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after, everybody say after. Jesus was glorified Did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Church, sometimes there's something of our expectation and our expectancy that we look in hindsight. Because I'll tell you this, straight from my heart, some of the things in the moment that I thought were the best things that happened in my life ended up being the worst things that happened in my life because it ended up taking me on a path that was away from God. And I look back at my life and I understand the moments, some of the worst, most heartbreaking moments that I've had ended up being the best thing that happened to me because it brought me closer to God. Are you, are you tracking with me? See, we judge things through the lens of good and bad. We judge things through the lens of in the moment. Well, that's, that's a really bad thing. Can I tell you, God is working out something so much far greater and something so much more glorious than what even any of us can see even right now in this room. Jesus said this. He said, if you don't praise me, the rocks. Everybody say rocks. This is where I want to I just end with and hone in on for the next few minutes. Everybody say praise. praise. How many understand this morning that your praise is powerful? Yes. Your praise is a pathway. Your praise is an intersection of if God could get you before you ever even see the answer and ever even see the victory this morning, if he can get you in a place where, God, I don't know what you're up to and I don't know exactly where you're headed and I don't know how you're going to work this out, but, God, I have an expectancy that you're good and that your mercy endures forever and that you're for me and not against me and that, God, you are on my side in this moment. When you have that expectancy, can I tell you what it bursts in your life it births a rock you're like a rock yes he said literally that if you don't cry out that even the rocks are going to cry out and I mentioned this before and you would think that this victory celebration would come after Jesus has been raised from the grave on the third day but can I tell you a spiritual principle that is so powerful and I want to teach you for these last few minutes If you can lift your voice and just begin to praise him, even though you don't know what's going on. Church, if you can lift your voice and begin to praise him, even when you don't know how your family stuff is going to work out. If you can lift your voice and praise him, even when the doctor's standing at the door and he's standing with something in his hand that comes in and says things aren't looking too good. I've been through everything over these last few months, ups and downs and and more stuff than what you could imagine. But can I tell you something this morning? My God is good on the days when it's bad and my God deserves a praise on days when it's good and bad because Because our praise has power to begin to change the situation. I have three questions for you this morning. 
Number one, is a lack of praise the thing that may be holding you back? Number two, is a lack of praise keeping you from significant levels of impact? Third question, is a lack of praise distancing you from the presence of God and limiting his participation in your life? It's a powerful question. In Psalm 22, verse 3 says, But you are holy, you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now think about that. What is that saying there? It's it's laying out a very powerful principle that even in the midst of what they didn't understand, even in the midst of their expectation, even in the midst of Jesus coming in very humbly and very servant-hearted is an example of who we should be in following him. Even in the midst of all this and their expectations of God's going to go in and kick everybody out and deal with the problem. Can I tell you something this morning? That you, you may have been praying that your boss would retire for the last several years. And that joker's still there, tormenting you. Can I tell you something this morning? If you can learn to praise even in those seasons, you can learn to praise even in those difficult places because the powerful principle is this. When we begin to praise, we begin to invite God to come and sit down in that situation. And even before you see the victory, even before you see the answer, God is working on your behalf. But can I tell you what a powerful element praises in the situation. Here's what I began to think. Here's what I began to think. Think about this for a minute. Jesus is coming in very humbly. He's not coming in on a war horse. He's not coming in high and with an army behind him. I mean, again, I would have probably brought those legions of angels that he mentioned in the garden of Gethsemane just to keep everybody on cue. You know, this is who I am. I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But think about this for a minute. He wasn't coming to set himself up on an earthly throne. There's something much bigger going on here than that. Even to this day, 2,000 years later, he's not interested in earthly earthly thrones. He's interested in the throne of your heart. That's what he's interested in. Is he Lord of your life? Have you surrendered and have you submitted? But think about something for just a minute. If Psalm 22 is is correct, and it is, when we come together, church, what we're doing is we're creating an intersection of faith and hope and praise that God will literally come and sit down even on his people. And as they're praising him, he's not going to inherit an, an earthly throne heading into Jerusalem. Listen to me. While they are praising him, guess what's happening? God is being enthroned on the praises of the people that are shouting, save us, and shouting, God, we're with you. God, we're thankful you're here. Jesus, we're glad that you are with us. I think of, the, I think of David when I think of a powerful person of praise. The Bible actually says in one of the Psalms that David became great. Can I tell you what your greatness is this morning? Your greatness isn't in, again, the things that you have. The greatness that you possess is in how you can praise God. David wrote the Psalms. In Psalms, depending on which version you track, there's over 300 to 400 uh, mentions of praise. Everybody say praise. Because it is so important. Psalm 34, 1 says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Psalm 146, 2, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And I read this as we opened service, but if you say, 
how do I praise? What's the pathway of praise? What's the prescription of praise today? Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Here's what David is saying. If we enter into God's gates, you're not even going to get into his courts until you begin to become a person of praise. And here is how it look, we look at this. You're looking to get God, and God is looking to get to you. So it says if we draw near to him, God will begin to draw near to you. And you begin to come into his, into his gates, even the gates, you begin to say, God, I thank you, and God, I praise you. And you don't even get to his courts before God is coming to intersect and come into your situation and into your circumstance. The thing outside may not have changed, but can I tell you what begins to change? Your joy your hope, your peace, the presence of God. Some of you have gotten into situations, and I know they're hard, and I know they're difficult. It may have been the worst phone call you ever got, or it may be the worst doctor's report you ever got. But if you can just muster up enough of God on the inside, begin to let out a praise, can I tell you what happens? God begins to enthrone himself on the praises of his people, and things begin to change. Y'all, I think of Paul and Silas. Most everybody knows this story, but sometimes we don't know and realize of just what a difficult, dark situation that they were in. The difficult, dark situation that they were in. And it was a Philippian jail. And they're in this Philippian jail, and listen, this is they put them in the very lowest parts of the jail because that's where all the sewage was. That's where the rats were running around. That's where the darkness was, and it says they were literally in chains, And I just, Frank, I can't fathom this, but sometimes we need to praise God before we ever see the victory. And they're there in change. And I I, I can't, I mean, again, I can't fathom this, but because who looks over at the other person with sewage running down here between their feet, maybe standing in it, and rats running around, and, and, and a jail cell that's been locked, and the person walks away. Who looks at the other person, and Paul's like, Silas? Yeah, Paul. Let's praise God. I mean, really? But can I tell you what began to happen when they began to live? And it says they, 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 they took the hymns. What hymns were they familiar with? The book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is a praise book. And it produced in David, not, not a great king and a great warrior. He was all those things. What did it, what did it create? A man after God's own heart. Because when we're after God's own heart, it doesn't matter what the circumstances is. When they began to praise and they began to sing and lift up, it says the whole place quaked and the jail door was open and the chains fell off. That is the power of praise. That when we invite God through praise into the situation, that intersection of our faith, the intersection of our lives, it begins to change everything. Listen, God will come in and he'll show up and he'll show out and he'll begin to change. The victory is coming. Amen? Amen. Scripture gives us as a clear law, God inhabits the praises of his people. 
And church, you can be standing next to the gates of hell or the worst thing ever said to you. And if you can muster up in some courage and hope and faith, a little bit of praise begin to come out of your lips. Can I tell you, you're inviting God into the situation. And you can begin to lift your voice and God will show up. How many need God to show up in a situation in your life? I do too. There's something I've learned about praise. Praise is the language of faith. It is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the, the point is that God has some things for you that are stored up in hope that you haven't even pulled out of the spirit yet and seen it manifested in the present and in your present circumstances. Can I tell you what a key is according to the word of God? God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Just like he's marching into Jerusalem, they had an idea of an expectation of what God was going to do. There was something so much greater that God was doing in their midst. But Our faith sometimes is expressed in our praise. Listen, just begin to thank him. Just begin to to praise him. Just begin to lift up that voice. Begin to to let some praise out and you'll see God. Because praise is the language of faith. Listen, some of you today, again, you've gotten that doctor's report. Or some of you, your kid maybe hadn't talked to you in two years. Can I tell you by faith? That all the things that we have need of, God is able and willing and strong enough to fix. But some of you just need to learn the principle of praise and the the rock. The rocks will even cry out. And listen, when you begin to thank God in advance, even though you haven't seen it yet, can I tell you something this morning, church? Even when you begin to praise him, God is God all by himself. And God is a mighty God, and he can begin to move, and he can begin to to move into the situation. Amen? Amen. So let me ask these questions again. And praise activated the presence of God. Praise activates God's presence. It it brought God into a dank sewage jail cell and began to shake everything up. So let me ask you these questions again. Is a lack of praise the thing that may be holding you back? Is a lack of praise keeping you from significant levels of impact? Is a lack of praise distancing you from the presence of God and limiting his participation in your life? Because I'm going to tell you something this morning that I believe with all my heart. God inhabits the praises of his people. So the only thing limiting you is the amount of praise you will give back to God. Do you hear me? The only thing that may be limiting you today in what you're seeking him for is the amount of praise that you will give back to him. Faith has substance. You may not see it yet, but one of the keys to unlock it is to build your faith for praising God before you ever see the manifestation of what's coming. That's what's happening here. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. What's the sacrifice of praise? It literally says it's the fruit of our lips. But when we think of sacrifice, we think of something that we sacrifice. Amen? You go ahead and stand with me today. I'm going to give you a little illustration on this, and then I'm going to give you a few more scriptures today. And wrap this up. I know this may seem like a silly illustration, but I thought of it when I was studying. 
we used to have a men's event at the church I came from. I used to help set it up, and it was it was go kart racing. And it, I don't mean like these were little. These went like sixty miles per hour. Open wheel. I mean fast track, professional track there in New Orleans. We used to take. We'd have huge groups of guys. But I noticed something about one of the particular guys. He would always be out front and win. And I finally watched him one time that we went. We went several years in a row. He knew how to undo the restrictor plate. <laughs> Does anybody know what a restrictor plate is? It keeps him leveled down. And I thought of that yesterday that I called him out on it jokingly and laughingly. I said, man, I know how you win every year. You know how to rig up that restrictor plate so you can go faster than everybody else. Can I tell you a simple principle? Some of you have a restrictor plate on what you see God doing. Can I tell you what praise does? Praise lifts off the restrictor plate. If God is inhabited in the praises of his people and and we come into his courts with thanksgiving and into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, if we can understand that principle that you're inviting literally God into the situation, then the palm branch has a new meaning. The donkey has a new meaning. And listen, the, the rocks have a new meaning because we are called to be worshipers of him. It says that that's what he's seeking. He's not seeking a throne anywhere but in your heart this morning. And the Bible says this, and this is the scriptures I'm going to leave you with. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves you. He was heading towards Jerusalem for one purpose, and that was to die on the cross. Jesus' life purpose was to bring God's love and life to the world. His love bridged the gap and provided a way for us to cross over. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith in him we may approach with God with freedom and confidence. If you are here today and we are on this journey together through Holy Week leading up to Good Friday, that is what I want to leave you with today is the simple thought that the expectation was God was going to fix everything and what God came to deal with and fix is the sin in a human's heart. Amen? Amen. He loves each one of us and he invites us into this journey of Holy Week invites us into the journey going through this week. And I want us to have a special focus on God, his presence, and his praise this whole entire week. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And we want to just give a moment for a, and we don't really have a room up here today. I want to give a, a, an opportunity just for a response. You may have come here just because you're invited by somebody, and this may not apply to many, but it's going to apply to someone. As I said that this morning, that God so loved the world that he gave. He Listen, he made the first move. He gave his best and he gave us all in his son Jesus Christ to go to the cross, to pay for your sin. That's the most beautiful message I could preach to you today is that what he offers us is a completely free gift. And some of you may be standing there and you say, man, I don't need forgiven. I'm a pretty good person. I don't want to walk into heaven and look at a holy God and say, I'm pretty good. I want to say, I following somebody that's perfect. And that perfection is found in Jesus Christ. So let me ask a simple question today. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Ephesians 3.12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
today the invitation is that you come alive to what Jesus is offering. You come alive and you surrender yourself and say, God, I don't know what the future holds and I don't know what's just ahead, but God, I'm going to put my trust and surrender in you. First to surrender our lives and our hearts and our sin. Lay down our sin and you receive eternal life in return. That's the gospel. That's my first question today. Does anybody just say, God, I need to surrender everything and come into a relationship with you? Could you raise your hand right there where you are? need to lay everything down. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Amen. There's many people here that say, God, I am laying everything down to you, and I want to receive your gift of eternal life. Praise God. Praise God. Can we all pray this together this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you with an honest heart. I come to you with an open heart. I humbly say to you today, God, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins. I turn away from them. I receive today your free gift of salvation, of mercy. Lord, I, I ask you to come into my heart, change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to ask a second question today and just shoot your hand up because we want to finish by just really praying over you. I want to ask a second question. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know what's coming down the road. And you just came in here with so much anxiety and fear of the future. Can we pray for you today? Just shoot your hand up. Just be honest. You just came in with just a, amen. I knew I was on the right track today. We're going to pray over you right now. Just, Father, in the name of Jesus, as a church family, God, there's so many that have come in here with such heavy weights and, and, and such a lie of the enemy in their minds and in their hearts of he is victorious. God, we declare today your victory of the cross that, God, our expectations, we move them out of the side. And, God, can I ask you today to birth an expectancy in each heart, each family in life that even though it may not look like what we wanted and what we thought in this moment, Father, we trust you today that you are working for a far greater plan, purpose, and for a weight of glory for each individual in this place. God, today, Father, take and, Father, we lay aside the anxiety, Lord. We lay aside our fear. We lay aside our worry, and we lay it at your feet, and we just look you and say, God, we will follow you wherever you lead us because, God, we know that you have good paths, green pastures, still waters, and you quiet our soul today, Father. Do that for these folks. Quiet their soul. Let trust be birthed in them. And above all, Father, we will praise you before we ever see the victory. We'll give you praise, God, before we ever see the victory, God. Father, I bless the people of God today. I bless them. Father, going in and going out, Father, we pray that your face would shine upon each one of them, that you would give them protection, you would give them peace. Lord, as we retire to the back to enjoy a time of fellowship and fun watching these babies, God, run around and have a good time, I pray your protection over each heart and each little soul and each person, God. Father, bless this food to the nourishment of our body. Bless Dusty and Linda for preparing it. 
and, and so many others, God, Carla and Debbie and Ray, and so many that have worked in the back. We ask your special blessings upon them this day, Father. We thank you for Palm Sunday, and God, our eyes are focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.